regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. And off we go. Welcome aboard. Glad you are with us. I'm your host, Jacques Hopkins, and over there is our co-host. What's going on, Dr. K? Oh, living the dream up here. Super excited. It's it's Tuesday. It's date day. And my wife and I are planning on going to a hike on a hike out at that park I mentioned uh, where we went on our first date and where it seemed like I was going to propose to her. And then she's in super good spirits because her piano is showing up today to start taking your course. So life is good. How about that? That's pretty cool. Yeah, she... um she signed up last week, and I know that she signed up not even having the keyboard yet, but that's great that it's it's coming in. And I think we mailed out a physical package to her. Have you guys received that? She got that last night. Yeah. I said, open it. And she she's kind of funny. She loves gifts, but she kind of there are things that she just wants to open by herself. So she's like, no, I'm going to open it tomorrow. Oh, so you, she, so you haven't even opened it yet. She's so funny. She's so funny. Like, she... I don't know. She just likes to open certain gifts by herself. So in in the package is the book, the Piano in 21 Days workbook, which okay. by the way is now like 170 pages and the last version was about 80. <laughs> so with the updates of the new course, you know, all the videos are longer. We go into a little more depth on certain topics. Well, that made the workbook about twice as long as well. So you'll notice a nice, thick, thick workbook when she o- opens it. And the last version was about half that thick. So did Emily do a lot of the editing and the adding? Or was that something that you sat down with and really added the new content? Yeah. So what we did was was I gave it to her to... I gave the the videos to her, kind of my, my outline and the videos of the new course to her and say, hey... Use the old version of the workbook as our as our model, as our base, as our go-by, but apply all this new stuff, all the new order of stuff. And so so she went through it and um and took took her hand to it. And then I spent a lot of time in it as well. It was a it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work to get there, but I feel very, very good about it. Awesome. Yeah. So also in that package is gonna be a set of physical flashcards. Um, there's going to be a t-shirt, which I know she was, she was kind of excited about. And she wanted the like raglan three quarter t-shirt that I'm wearing in my videos. And, uh, and I told her that's for people that finish the course. So hopefully some extra motivation to actually finish the course. Is that something you said just to her? Cause she mentioned that. Is that something that you do for everyone? Well, that's a good question, David, because when I was recording the last lesson a few weeks ago, I put in there, hey, if you finish the course, like send me a video of you playing and I'll send you one of these shirts. And I'm pointing to the shirt that I'm actually wearing. Well, you know, my director of operations, Colleen, got wind of that. And she's like, Jacques, I just don't know if that makes sense financially. She's like, what if 20% of people do that? And she started spinning out on these numbers and then international is going to be $22 to ship, this and that. And that's why it's great to have her around because I don't think like... <laughs> I don't think it through. I'm just like, oh, you know what would be a great idea? Like if somebody finishes the course, I send them another shirt. <laughs> and so we're still in the process of that. We're we're actually talking about maybe some other – like I love the idea of sending out something physical when they complete the course with mm-hmm. proof. But what exactly that is, I'm not sure. But I did tell your wife specifically that I would give her one of those 
okay. when she finishes. So I, um, w- whether we continue doing that for everybody is still unknown, but, but for Val, we will certainly do that. Okay. So I think, uh, oh, and the flash drive. So I include a flash drive with, with our logo on it and the, um, the contents of the course. And, you know, I have a lot of older, um, older students and even student, I have students like in, in rural areas that maybe don't have great internet connections and they appreciate being able to add, you know, plug in the flash drive to their computer or whatever, being able to access the course offline if they want to. So that's what's included in my physical package. Um, and I've talked about it here and there, of course, on the, on the podcast before. But, you know, one, one issue that came up when I first started sending out packages is every once in a while when somebody would, would take me up on the kind of 30 day refund policy of the course, they would mail the package back to me. And I'm like, ah, like what? Like now I have to process this. And then like, if it's, if it is still good, like they haven't worn the shirt or whatever, like then I have to repackage. I'm like, I don't want to receive packages back. So one thing we implemented pretty quickly was on the form that they fill out to give me their, give me their shipping information. We make them answer one question about the refund policy. And there's three possible answers. And it's basically says, let me see if I can pull it up here. It says me sending you this physical pack complicates my refund policy a little bit. As you are probably aware, you can ask for a full refund within just uh, within the first 30 days of purchasing the ultimate package if you find out it's just not for you. But if I mail you this package, then that changes a little. Please select the option that works best for you. And there's three choices. The first one is, I have looked at the course and I am 100% committed and will not be requesting a refund. Please send my physical pack. That's the option most people choose. The next most common response is this one. Please send my physical pack, and if I do decide to ask for a refund, then I understand it will only be a partial refund to account for me keeping the physical pack. The refund will be for three ninety seven instead of four ninety seven. So they get to, they get to keep it, even if they get a refund. They just basically they paid a hundred dollars for the physical pack, and then no longer have course access. The third option says I will email Jacques once I can confirm I will not be requesting a refund, and at that point, please send my physical pack. So that third option means we're not going to send it to you yet. The first two, we're going to go ahead and send it to you. The third one, you're going to wait and just see if you feel comfortable um, with it and that you're not going to request a refund. So that's great. Yeah. It's, it works really, really well. It works really well. And this, this actually segues really nicely into uh, one thing I wanted to mention here is that so, so we've been launched on the new platform for about a week and a half now. And I remember that very first person to sign up. I remember his name. I remember his email address. It kind of feels like back when I first launched eight years ago. Like, I'm like, ooh, who, ooh, Nancy signed up. Ooh, Bob signed up. Like, I wonder, like, let me, let me dig into active campaign and find out more about these people. And so the very first person to sign up, his name was Bob. And he selected the option of, um, of waiting. Like I will, I will email and confirm once I feel good about it. Right. And so Emily pinged me, I think two days ago and she's like, Hey, you might want to go check the message from Bob. And so I was, uh, I was with my wife and I was, I was, uh, read it to her and I was like, babe, this means so much because of all the hard work we've been putting into this platform. And and by the way, when Bob signed up, he was a little skeptical. He's like, I don't know about, I don't, I'm not sure, but I, I, went, I went for it. So anyway, Bob said, I believe uh, when I first received this message, I completed the form with a conditional response that I might want to reserve the option to cancel and to therefore hold the package until I confirmed that I would not do so. 
Having gone through the first 12 lessons, I see no reason why I would want to cancel the course. So could I now confirm that the package can be sent? Playing along, and now he goes into a little more detail here, and he specifically calls out a lot of the new features of the new course, which is what really made my day. Playing along with the backing tracks, which is new, is a new experience for me and adds so much to the exercises as I can get into the rhythm of the song so much easier than simply playing with a metronome. And having the three speed options is great as I first uh, learn the fingerings and then improve the speed. And the scales and chords lesson, which is a brand new lesson I didn't even touch before, um, cleared up a long-standing question I couldn't figure out, that um, being how do I play chords in other keys? Now I understand that the major and minor chords are played in exactly the same in all keys. It's just that I'm unlikely to encounter certain chords in those keys where they contain notes that aren't included in the allowable notes for that particular key. So getting off into the weeds, a little technical there, but what he's saying there is he's calling out exactly what the changes and additions are in the new version, which just completely made my day. And so he wraps up by saying, so if you could, please accept this as a request to forward along the bonus physical pack. I'm now off to build a cheat sheet summarizing the focus of each day's lesson and exercises for a one-page reference to track back and repeat the exercises as I build new skills. Thanks, Bob. Oh, man. When you first mentioned that message from Bob, you had me thinking that it was negative. <laughs> so you... <laughs> Ah, uh, that's incredible. That's fantastic. Yes. And just like I, like I said, I mean, just the fact that he called out the specific new elements, like it's one thing to come up with an idea and think it's going to work for your students. It's another thing for it to actually work for your new students. And right. I, I taught the new version of the course live late last year, but even that didn't have all of these new elements. The backing tracks is it's something that we developed that my students can kind of play along with. That's really um, the idea is to help them stay with a certain rhythm better than because if they play by themselves, then there's no accountability to the rhythm. That's that feature came up because I was teaching it live and I saw the problem. I was like, you know what would be good for you guys is backing track. So they the boot camp people didn't have it, but it's something we developed for this new version. Okay. Well on the subject of the boot camp ride along, so you did add me to your platform as a beta tester of sorts and I hadn't poked around a lot, but I got in there and my gut feeling is that you'll have fifty percent or more of your students will ultimately primarily learn through the boot camp ride along. It's a hunch. I don't know if you'll have that data. The thing that I wanted to mention is that instantly I wanted to go and meet the people that were in the boot camp ride along. And I wasn't able to find a video where mm -hmm. I got to hear their stories, hear where they're from, hear what their goals are. So if you still have that in the archives, um, I really wanted that to be the first video. Like, who are my classmates? Who am I going to learn with? So would love to see that. No, I love that. I do still have the recording from our original session where I wasn't actually teaching them and just, hey, what's your goals? Like, what's your background? And so on. I have that and I do kind of have it on the back burner to do that. But I appreciate that reminder. I think that is important. Now, I don't agree with you that 50% of people are going to learn through those recordings. I could be wrong. There was a time when I was doing the live sessions where I was like, you know, this could be just the course, but I just learned, I learned a lot and, and had so many improvements I wanted to make that that wasn't even an option. But hey, I could do the boot camp again and then maybe that could be the course. But I think some people like learning just like the one-on-one -on -one videos and then others might appreciate the more class other people going through it format. Sure. Well, and I suggested to Val that she start with the one where it's just you and her and then the next day or two do the ride along. 
Yeah. And and another idea I had was to actually include the boot camp ride along video on the same page. Like it's it's just kind of a feature at, of the course within the lesson. But what happened is I actually tweaked the lesson order ever so slightly. And so I couldn't do that. Right. <laughs> so day like day 10 in the boot camp is actually day nine in the, the new one-on-one course. So what are you actually, what have you been working on since we last talked then? I haven't What's been, been the big project. I haven't been working quite as hard. I, I, I was working so hard. So I'm, I'm um, taking a little bit of a break, but the big thing now is the app. And so we're working on all the branding for that. You know, got to get a new app icon and login screen and the branding within that. So hopefully within the next month or so, we'll be launching the app to go along with this new platform. So that's that's the focus now and just watching and interacting with people. You know, for the first week or so, there was very little interaction on the platform. And I, it's kind of like um, almost a catch-22. Like if not many people are in there, then not many people are talking. And when not many people are talking, it's less motivation to want to be talking. Mm-hmm. And I think any like Facebook group or anything like that, would uh, any community would probably work like that. But I think we've reached kind of a critical mass where people are now starting to chime in, communicate, reply to each other, help each other. We're probably at about 75, 80 people in the new platform now. And it's it's very fun to see actually interaction happening within the course platform over the past few days. Are you waiting to port over like the, the total uh, enrollment until you have the app ready? No, I'm not waiting for the app to be ready. I'm just waiting for just everything to be in order, a little more runtime. And um, honestly, Colleen's kind of in charge of that. So I'm waiting waiting on her to feel good about it and give me the word that that, uh, that we can migrate. That's probably going to happen sometime in April that we're going to cut everybody over. Okay. I think it could make sense to wait until the app is ready. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I mean, we're so, uh, it's so lazy in a sense that people are, but I mean, if they're going to have to create new login and, and learn a new system, in a way, it makes sense to give them both the new website and the new app at the same time so that they can say, okay, I'm going to spend five minutes, get the website uh, account set up, and I'm going to get the app going. So that could make sense. Mm-hmm. Appreciate the input. And then one last question. Um, what is your plan exactly for the Facebook community? Like, are you going to actually try to shut down the Facebook community entirely and force everybody over to the new community? Mm-hmm. It's an experiment. And it's one that I'll share in this podcast because I don't think I've had many people on that say, okay, yeah, we have actually a community in two places. We have it inside the course portal and we also have it on Facebook. I don't think I've heard that story. And so that is certainly something I'm open to because there are advantages to the Facebook group. We definitely have the community inside the platform using Buddy Boss, but I don't plan on removing the Facebook group anytime soon. And it's very possible I don't remove it at all. And I still post like the events there. Um, but my, our main focus will be the course community platform and then, you know, Facebook group secondary. Okay. I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you just said. So, Ooh. wow. Every <laughs> once in a while, maybe most of the time I'm just rambling, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, that's part of what we do here is, is we, you know, experiment, we're transparent with the things we're trying and with the results we get. This is something that I've been talking a lot about, like community for what? Long time, many, many months now. And I'm sure a lot of people are following along to see what, what I do. 
and um, I want to make the right call. And there's 1,800 people in the Facebook group, and a lot of them are very active there. And as you know, you you get on Facebook, and you got you know a lot of people are in a lot of different groups. I'm in a lot of different groups, and it's right. it's nice to have all your groups in one place. Depends what you're going for. Yeah, I mean that's that's the option where you serve all your customers. You don't have to pick one group. So good call. Well, I wanted to share a little trick to have great energy on video. Mm. And so, I mean, the right energy is so important. And I wanted to make this video here at my office and have my assistant in it. And uh, in the past, when I've had other people in my videos, to some extent, they look bored. Um, they look look even angry to be on the video with me. And so I wanted her to have the right energy. And I told her before the video, I said, All right. So when you're not doing your thing, I still need you to look like you have like a guilty grin on your face, like you played some kind of a prank. And this video did have an element of a prank to it. But I got to tell you, like the finished video, she just had this mischievous, guilty grin. You could see this twinkle in her eye. And if you watch this video, you'd say you'd want to see like, why is she so excited? And you'd keep watching. And so I was reflecting like, what would get a person in that state of mind? You've probably seen the movie Dumb and Dumber at some point, I assume, right? Of course. Yes. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> so Yeah. What are the best movies? So I'm thinking of the pepper scene. So Lloyd and Harry are in this restaurant with this hitman that's about to kill them. And he heads off to the bathroom and they both tried these super hot peppers And while he's away at the bathroom, they put these hot peppers on his burger and he comes back and they can barely contain their smile. Um, And he's like, you know, why are you guys on this road trip? And they're like, take a bite of your burger and we'll tell you. And they can barely keep in that excitement. And so I would just say anybody out there listening, if you feel like you have trouble having this great energy on video, I want you to get in the mindset that you've done a prank or you have, you're a little guilty about something. Maybe watch that video beforehand and just check your footage afterwards. And I think you're going to find that there's just this twinkle in your eye. Jock, are you a prankster at all? Do you have any pranks in your history? No, I mean, you know, April, April Fool's is coming up. Well, actually, by the time this airs, it will, it will be behind us. But uh, no, I'm pretty a straight shooter, Dr. K. Uh, not too many pranks. But that's an interesting thought. Uh, I feel like this is just like a, a segment, like advice time with Dr. K. But that's great that it worked for your assistant. And that is certainly a big problem I see. I don't know that I've ever seen somebody who their first or second time on video looked comfortable or it looked mm-hmm. it looked like they had any sort of energy going. Mine, sir, it took years for me to be that way. So I'll be interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that tip works for people. Yeah, I'd love to hear uh, feedback from people. And as far as pranks, I'll give you a good one. Uh, very simple, uh, although you might get in trouble with your wife. But uh, there's a very simple one where you just take tape or a rubber band and put it around the sink sprayer. Have you heard of that one? Oh, yeah. So that when you go to use it, it kind of sprays everything. It doesn't go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've done that one on a bunch of people. And uh, the worst one, I, I got it all set up while my girlfriend was driving down to see me. And I was cleaning my house at the same time. And, you know, 20 minutes went by and I went to like, fill this mop bucket and I hosed myself down as I was waiting for her to show up. That's a simple one. Try it on your wife. And uh, for the listeners, uh, yeah, let's see if you can make a, a really fun energy video. You do you do strike me as a bit of a prankster, Dr. K. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's should we talk let's talk about Shayna. Because I mean we've been going for what 20 minutes. We haven't even mentioned her. And let's set this up a little bit. You are the one. Now, she she's in the community. She listens to the podcast. She's in next level courses. You're the one that said, "Hey, you you we we should have Shayna on the podcast." Why? Why why did you think we should have her on the podcast? 
Well, honestly, I've been a fan of hers for a while. Um, as the listeners are going to hear, she has a podcast of her own. And somewhere after I found you, I was trying to find similar podcasts and I came across hers and started listening. So I've been a fan of hers for a while. The second thing is that around around the new year, you asked all the listeners what types of interviews they wanted to hear more of. And people said, we want ages of success. So that was another thing that she talks about, um, you know, not being a superstar, but just gradual growth. And then the third thing was just, I listened to her podcast and she shared that she had had success with Facebook ads for the first time in years. And so I thought she could provide some value there. Perfect. Yeah. What put me over the edge once you mentioned it was I listened to her like 2020 year in review podcast episode on her podcast. And I just loved how just like real and honest it was. I loved how she kind of recapped how COVID affected her business in the podcast and fairly negatively, at least at first. And it was just, it was just so transparent. And it just that vibe, that tone just sounded like something my podcast listeners, our podcast listeners would appreciate. Um, so that's what put me over the edge and, and certainly didn't disappoint. So that's the setup. And as usual, we'll go ahead and play that conversation between myself and Shana, and then we'll talk about it a little bit on the back end. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. Here we go with the full conversation uh, with Shana from English. Uh, no, EspressoEnglish.net. <laughs> Hi, Shana. Welcome to the Online Course Show. Hey, Jacques. It's great to be here. So tell, tell me about your, your course business. Who is it that you help and how is it that you help them? So uh, my site is called Espresso English, and I sell ebooks and courses teaching English as a second language. Um, so it's primarily self-study. People can buy the courses anytime and take the lessons on their own schedule. So it's really convenient for them. Uh, they can study anytime, anywhere, and really convenient for me because I don't have to schedule anything or show up live. So so no coffee? You're not selling any espresso on that site? No, definitely not. But the lessons are short and sweet, so it's like mm. a shot of espresso. Very interesting. So that's where that's where the name comes from, I'm assuming. It is, yeah. Okay. When When did you come up with that name? Oh, goodness. About 10 years ago. Um, I don't even know how it just came to me on a walk one day. Do you find that, um, do you find that people get that? Like they get what that means? English, uh, sorry, espresso English. Some of them do. Um, of course the disadvantage is that some people misspell it as espresso, right? Yeah. Even native English speakers have this issue. So, yeah. um, I think I get a lot of Google traffic even from espresso English. So was this just like an instant hit back when you when you first got the idea and launched or, or did it take a while to find some success? Oh, definitely not an instant hit. Um, when I first started, I just started blogging, basically. And I wasn't aware of all the things that you should do in order to go out and bring people into your content, right? I was just posting on the site and hoping people would discover me. And they eventually did, but it took many months of consistent posting before Google started to pick up a few of my posts and people started to come in. Um, so I did it the hard way. Uh, nowadays, when I'm teaching people, I encourage them to guest post, 
you know, appear on other people's podcasts, do all those things when you're starting out and you don't have an audience yet. Don't just wait for people to come to you because it can work, but it will take forever. And those early months were really frustrating as I just saw tumbleweeds in my Google Analytics account. <laughs> no, I remember that. I, I started back in 2013 and I certainly wasn't an instant success either. I just thought that I could put it out there and people would start finding me. But as, as you and I both now know, it's not that simple. But what what was your like? What was your motivation? Like, what was the end game? Did did you plan to sell courses, or were you just like, let's let me just start putting some stuff out there and see what sticks? Right. Well, at the time, I was also teaching English um, in schools and giving private lessons, so um, personal, private, and group lessons. And this was in Brazil, uh, so I was teaching at local schools and uh, taking a bus. 30 to 45 minutes each way, uh, which definitely cut into my hourly rate. And so I realized that this was just not sustainable. Um, there was no way to increase my income. Uh, also, things like um, holidays would cancel all my classes without pay uh, if students had to cancel. And so it just wasn't uh, great or sustainable long term. And then so I was thinking I need to have something that is separated from my time, you know, something where I can. Uh, earn some income that is not directly related hour to hour with my presence. And that kind of combined with the fact that a lot of my students uh, there in Brazil were really busy. They were usually working full time. They usually had spouses and or kids and long commutes, and they were trying to learn English on top of that. And a couple of them, a lot of them would miss a lot of classes. It's just, it you know, just life, right? And, uh, or traffic. And um, a couple of my students came to me and said, Hey, Shana, I really want to learn my English, but I, I just can't always make it to class. Can you just maybe send me some of your lessons by email? I'll just study on my lunch break or study on my phone. And so those two things together uh, kind of sparked the idea to put my lessons online. And I don't think I started with, you know, building a course empire, but that was just kind of the next logical step, right? If I'm publishing blog posts teaching, then the next step is um, to create a course where people can go deeper and get the result faster. So are you, are you still doing any like teaching or tutoring today, or are you completely focused on this website and courses and, and blogs and stuff like that? Nope. I stopped all of my live in-person classes within the first year. Oh, nice. Okay. Tell me about the first sale, like the first time that this site made money for you. All right. So I have a false start and then I have what I consider to be the real start. You, you um, like, when I asked the question, like you immediately just like lit up and now I'm really excited to hear the story. Well, okay. On month two of blogging, I had a teeny tiny audience and maybe, I don't know, a hundred people on my email list. And I had a pronunciation course that I had kind of already produced. I had used it with one of my private students. So the material was already there. And I decided to sell it for um, $9 discounted from $30. Uh, I had never sold it at $30, but I decided to just, you know, slash the price to nine. And I sent it out to my email list with no preparation and kind of a really awkward presentation. It was kind of buried in the middle of one of my regular newsletters. And I got three sales for a grand total of $27. Um, and that was not quit your job money. And I was really kind of upset and discouraged. I did not know at the time that I had kind of done everything in a really awkward manner. Um, not very well thought out, not very well planned, not very well prepared. Um, my audience. Uh, so I did nothing for the next five months except continue to blog. And then I decided to try again. 
And this time, my list had grown a bit. I think it was about 1,500, 1,700 people. This is maybe nine months in. And I decided to uh, survey them and ask them, which of these three course topics are you most interested in learning? And they voted for one. The one they picked was travel English, so how to get through the airport, make a hotel reservation, all that kind of practical stuff. And then I pre-sold it. So I said, okay, sign up, pay $30, and I will deliver one lesson a day for the next 30 days in the month of, I think it was August. And I got uh, 17 people to sign up and prepay those $30. And then, of course, I had to produce the course, right? People had already paid for it. They were expecting it. And I did it over the next 30 days. And it was still, you can do the math there, still not quit your job money. <laughs> but I thought, okay, if 17 people believed in me um, and you know signed up sight unseen with the course, uh, this can grow. I could get 170. I could get more than that. And so I just kept doing that over and over, uh, pre-selling a course. So the next one was on business English, inviting people to sign up. Sometimes I would give an early bird discount. You know, this course is going to be $45, but if you join this week, you can get it for 30, uh, to reward those folks who are early adopters and who, uh, love me and trust me enough to uh, send me send me money without having seen the course yet. Uh, and I just did it over and over throughout the next few years and eventually produced my current product suite, which has, I think, around uh, 12 courses now and three eBooks. All right. So that that first time you made three sales at $9, but I mean, you would you would have to make a lot of sales at nine dollars for it to be like quit your job money. Like what you 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 were disappointed. Like what were you expecting, or, or maybe I should say, what were you hoping for? What would have been success on that very first one? You know, I don't even know. This is taking me almost ten years back, um, but I know I was hoping for more than three. Um, I guess I thought that nine dollars would have been such a no brainer that I don't know everybody on my list would have signed up or half of them and. Now that I know a little bit more about online courses, about audiences and conversion rates, I know that that wouldn't have been a realistic um, expectation. And also that, you know, it is often hard to convince someone even to buy what you might perceive as a, a low priced product. It's a change in the relationship when someone goes from a free consumer of your content to someone who is paying to receive something, it's that's a change. And um, not to underestimate, not just to put it out there and say, of course, you're going to buy this, um, because it's not that simple. Uh, people need information, people need to trust you. Uh, so I just didn't know what I didn't know at the time. So this was, uh, this was about 2012. Is it, do I have the year right? Yes, that's correct. So who were you the, the things you were doing? I mean, you didn't do everything wrong, right? Who, who were you learning from at the time? Ooh, I don't remember. Probably an assortment of random podcasts and websites. Uh, I've never joined any specific training course or hired a coach to help me through this. I've always been kind of the scrappy, I'll figure this out on my own type. Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are. And there also, in 2012, there also didn't exist a ton of training specifically on uh, this topic of um building an online course business. I think in that era, people were more focused on blogging. Um, blogging is an income source. And uh, so I just didn't, you know, I would pick up things here and there, uh, how to make a sales page or how to send an email newsletter, but I didn't have any sort of organized training. I would just kind of Google things and try to pick up what I could. Well, this is a really early example. One of the earliest examples I've heard of actually trying to pre-sell something. So it sounds like you had a lot of great um, success with pre-selling 
actually asking people on your list what they wanted, pre-selling it to them, and then delivering it to them. That's sounds like that's when you really started to find some success. And I assume that maybe you got that idea from some mentor or something, or, or maybe it's just an idea you came up with on your own. No. So actually, this one did come from... Um what was at the time called the Lifestyle Business Podcast. It's now called the Tropical MBA Podcast. Mm. And they're in a totally different niche, manufacturing at the time. But they mentioned placing something like, I think it was a, a printed ad in some sort of trade publication selling a product that didn't exist yet. And they were saying, taking pre-orders for this piece of equipment. And they did get some people to sign up. And then I, I walked into, so I listened to that podcast, probably on the way to class. And then I walked into the English school and I saw students swiping their credit cards, prepaying for the next semester of lessons. And I was like, oh, people do also prepay for educational content, right? I mean, you have to pay tuition, you know, before you start your first day of class at college or um, all these other things. So that idea from the podcast and then seeing students prepay for their whole semester made me realize, okay, I can structure this as you pay now and the class will be delivered over this specific time frame. Um, and I thought people would be comfortable with that. And uh, it turns out that they were. Hmm. So your style of learning is just observing, seeing what's working and trying to replicate that. Yeah, kind of. I, I think I do do a lot of that. So by the way, who who's your audience? Is it anybody that's their, their, their first language is not English or is it like Spanish speakers? Who's your audience? Yeah, so it's it's not language specific. It's anybody in the world who's learning English as their second language. But I primarily tend to work with people who are at the intermediate level and above. So they they've maybe they've got an okay level of English and they really want to take it further. They want to become advanced. They want to get fluent. Um, because I don't have any content that has translation in Spanish or Portuguese or anything like that. So I can't work with people who are just starting out in the very early days, right? Um and now that I think about it, I think it's actually, it's a good niche for me because someone who's already at the intermediate level has probably already invested something in their learning. They've probably already either paid for private lessons or maybe they've paid for a, um, a computer program, Rosetta Stone or something to get them up to that intermediate level. And they don't want to lose their investment by just staying stagnant, right? At intermediate, they want to progress. They want to get up to the next level. And so where I can help them is taking them from intermediate or okay English still got a bunch of mistakes to really a higher level of English fluency. Let me give you let me give you an exact example. Okay, so I have uh, there's a guy on my team. He's he's a graphic designer and he lives in Brazil. And his English is it's intermediate. He's 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 excellent um, for not being a native speaker, but he's always very hesitant to like jump on a Zoom to like actually communicate and talk not via text or um, he sent me some like some like looms where he'll record it. But if we, if, if we, if I want to jump on a, a live call with him on zoom, like he's very hesitant because he's just not super confident in, in his English. Right. Even though, I mean, from my perspective, he's very, very good at English. So somebody like that, who's, you know, it's not their first language, um, but they've, they, they're intermediate, like you said, and, and just need to build that confidence you can help that person. But if I direct them to your site, like, how are you helping that person? Is it one of one specific course? Is it is it all your content? Where, where would you recommend somebody like that go? Yeah, so um, 
the way I structure uh, my site and my programs is usually the first step people take is joining my email list. Um, and when they join, they get a free ebook called 500 Real Phrases. And so if someone's having trouble with speaking, and this is really where a lot of people's weak points is, right? A lot of uh, students have decent written English, but speaking just kind of mm, not sure what to say, not sure if I'm going to sound right. And so the fact that I send them a phrase book with audio really gives them kind of a, a quick win, like an instant way to boost their fluency. Okay, I can just learn these phrases. And now I have ready-made phrases I can use in the, my next Zoom call or uh, the next time I come face-to-face with my um, English-speaking client or manager uh, or go to a restaurant. I have a lot of students who are immigrants to English-speaking countries. Um, and so it gives them that quick win. Uh, they get the phrase book. Uh, they start receiving uh, my email tips once or twice a week. And the tips are kind of all over the place. Sometimes I'll do grammar, sometimes I'll do vocabulary, sometimes pronunciation. But at the end of each free tip is an invitation to the corresponding paid program. So if I've sent them, here are the top three pronunciation mistakes you might be making. That would be a free tip or a free lesson. And then at the bottom of that email would be, do you want to really improve your pronunciation in the next 30 days? Join my this is a paid pronunciation course. And so if they resonated with the content of that email, or if this is an area they really want to work on, the next logical step would be to join the paid course specifically in that area. Um, I recognize that having 15 products can be confusing for someone. Uh, where do I start? Which one is best for me? Uh, so I kind of use that, use the emails as well as if someone does go to the courses page, they can take free samples of everything to see what might be right for them, as well as take, I have a little quiz, which one is right for me. They can answer two questions and be directed to kind of their best learning path. Well, I just opted in. I'm checking your stuff out now. And I got that first first email here. And so I'll, I'll be looking to see what those emails look like where you're offering value, but then also pitching the course associated with that with what that topic was. Is there any scarcity built in anywhere in, into the business? Yes and no. Um, <laughs> no, in terms of my regular email marketing, I don't have any deadline funnels. Um, my courses are always open. I don't do open and close. Uh, so I really wanted people to be able to access the program they needed at any time. Um, everyone's got their own learning path and I don't want to artificially restrict, uh, people coming in, to the courses. Also, since I don't have a live or, you know, a, a group coaching component, um, it makes it easy for it to just be open anytime. Now I am building a bit of scarcity in by doing limited time flash sales. So every month I will pick one product and put it on sale uh, for 20, 30, 40% off. And then I can send emails to anyone who has not yet bought that product saying, Hey, you know, flash sale, if you've been waiting for the perfect opportunity to get the business English course, now's the time. And so that helps, um, you know, anyone who might have been on the fence, uh, maybe if price was a bit of an objection, they can get their foot in the door, um, get that product at a great price. And it adds a nice little uh, revenue bump on top of the steady stream of evergreen sales. Got it. Um, all right. Last question about my graphic designer. Okay. So why would he be a good fit? And, and this, I'm asking it this way because it's, I feel like he's kind of a, in your target audience demographic, but like, why would he be a good fit to sign up for some of your courses versus say, just hire a tutor once a week? Yeah. So 
it's interesting. I have to be very careful in my um, positioning because I'm not against private lessons. I think those are excellent. Those are important. Um, I just don't offer them. <laughs> and so what I do is I just show how my programs contrast with that. So maybe you're a little nervous even to jump right in with the private tutor. Well, with the course, you can kind of learn, build up your skills first in some of my speaking courses, I actually have the opportunity where he could record himself speaking, send it in, get feedback. So it's a little lower pressure than actually being face-to-face live with someone in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, I don't say you don't need live lessons. Um, I just say this is a way for you to build up your skills, build up your confidence. Um, and then if you want to use live lessons as a supplement, but my lessons are a little bit more convenient because you don't need to schedule a time, cancel it if you can't show up, uh, pay for it. Um, so there's there's a convenience and a lifestyle factor there as well. My lessons typically only take maybe 10 to 15 minutes to do each one as opposed to having to commit an hour uh, to be online with the tutor. So there are a couple of differences. I'm not going to say mine are better, um, but it's kind of complementary in a way. Well, I love the I love the part where you encourage students in, in certain, I guess, in certain courses to record themselves and send it in for feedback. I think that's something as course creators we could be doing more of. I I encourage my students to do that all the time. Like, hey, if you're having a problem, like record yourself. Or even if you just want, like you're playing a song and you just want to see if I do have any feedback or anybody in my team has feedback, like record yourself, ideally post it in the community so that not only me or my team could provide feedback, but like other people going through the course with you can provide feedback as well. I think in a lot of ways, there's more value to that than like a one-on-one live session. So do you encourage um, the more community uh, part of that? Like, like I do, do you even have community or is that feedback going like straight to you? So I decided not to do community because this is something very specific to my niche. People tend to want to talk with the teacher, the native speaker, as opposed to each other. I mean, why would I want to talk with someone else who might be wrong about, you know, this grammar point or whatever. So this is, uh, in most other niches, community is a great thing and people can kind of teach and learn from each other. But in in mine, it's just a little complicated. Uh, so I chose not to do any sort of community. I also did survey my audience about this at some point and they were very lukewarm on the idea of, of uh, right. either a practice group or something like that. So no community for me. Uh, the homework uh, which is the speaking tasks. I also have opportunities where they can send in writing as well. Uh, come straight to my inbox and my assistant teacher corrects them. Uh, so I, uh, two years ago, I brought on an assistant about, she's at about 15 hours a week and she takes care of most of the homework as well as any simple questions. People just asking about um they have any questions about the course questions about the language she takes care of probably 90% of the inbox you know i would i would challenge you to possibly try the community i mean i realize you're saying that you did poll the poll your audience which is great that's a that's a that's a great thing to do and and people don't do that enough but you're making an assumption right i'm i'm with you on the the basis of the assumption one assumption that i made about the community is that it would just create too much work for myself but in reality that didn't happen once i created a community it was everybody interacting with each other. And so my, you know, the people in my community don't feel like they only want to talk to me. They feel like it's nice having, being able to talk to people more on their level. Like, oh, I'm only, you know, I'm a beginner at piano. I'm not even playing songs yet. I'm just playing like 
I'm just learning seventh chords. And somebody else who is also just learning seventh chords or maybe just learned seventh chords, you know, can speak to them in a different way as, as I could. Right. So I would say the best thing you could do is try it out. And then if it turns out your assumption is correct, then you could always remove the community. That's true. And that's something I, um, I often think about when I'm considering how to make changes uh, to my business or business models, how reversible is this? Is this something mm. I could always walk back if it's not working out? Or is this something I'm committing to for the next year? And I do actually have a couple other um, friends in my in my niche who have communities as part of their ongoing paid membership program. And I could kind of check in with them and see see how it's working out. Uh, if I did include a community, I would want it to be something that is an ongoing you know, paying model. Uh, right now, all of my courses are just one-time purchases. So you pay $30, you get a set of lessons, you keep access to it forever. Um, but I don't have any monthly membership type offerings. I, I, how reversible is this? I love that. Like that's, that's, I've not, I've not heard that before, but that's a great question to ask yourself. Like when you're making big decisions or you're implementing something new, how reversible is this? You know, by the time this podcast comes out, we'll be on an every two week schedule with the podcast. You know, that's a change that we made recently. And, it, you know, that was a big decision. But if I would ask myself, like, how reversible is this? Well, pretty reversible. Like, I can pretty immediately just go back to once a week or we could change it to, you know, once a month if we needed to. Um, and and there's just so many areas of my business that I could say that about, you know, I'm moving my piano course over to a new platform right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel really good about it, but if it's just blows up, like I can just leave it. I can just go back to the old platform. You know, it's, right. it's reversible. Like I'm not canceling that yet until I know the new one's going to work. Um, so I, I wrote that down and I just, I love that, that, um, that mindset. You know, I think as I observe kind of, um, newer course creators, uh, starting their businesses, I, I think I see a lot of, in, in one sense, having a lot more people to learn from can actually hold them back in a sense because they tend to overthink and then be a little slower to take action. So maybe they're listening to uh, 10 different podcasts and they're part of four different training programs. And so instead of just doing something and then, oops, walking it back if it doesn't work out or pushing forward if it does work out, they're stuck in analyzing, oh, wait, should I use this video formula or that launch strategy or this one? or the? And it's like, no, 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 just do something. And then you can see if you're going to keep running with it or nope, nix it and try something else. And so uh, in that sense, uh, too much information can actually um, hold people back, I think, if they get stuck in overthinking or overanalysis and, and not enough action or experimentation. Well said. And you have a podcast where you share information like that, right? Your, you, your podcast is not just uh, about um, English speaking and pronunciation. I was listening to an episode of it recently. What, what's the name of your podcast again? So it's called Entrepreneurs in Motion. And exactly, it's where I talk about the behind the scenes of the business, what I'm experimenting with in marketing or um, conversion. And I've done some interviews as well uh, with other people who are building businesses in a variety of, of niches, not just online uh, courses and not just the language learning area. Well, one one quote I wrote down um, in, in the episode I was listening to, I think this is a good, good segue here. It says, uh, I wonder if you know where I'm going with this yet, but you said, a lot of the case studies we read about online are like, my business has doubled every year, or I got a 10x return on Facebook ads, or we hit seven figures within the first 18 months. We don't see a lot of stuff published on plateaus or modest growth because those aren't exactly attention-grabbing headlines. 
So it can make us feel like we're failing or something is wrong with our business if we're not getting those stunning levels of growth. And I completely agree with that. I mean, that's, you know, this, you take this podcast, like oftentimes we share like the really big success stories and it's not, not that yours is not a success and that, you know, your, yours is not just like um, an example of, of what not to do by any means. That's not, that's not where I'm going with this, but I think it's important to not just focus on those, you know, this person made $2 million last year. Let's talk about the people that are, you know, making $65,000 and, and now can do what they love and replace their, their income as well. Um, but I would love to hear you just elaborate on that sentiment a little bit because that really jumped out at me and I completely agree. Yeah. I think that I really spent a lot of time feeling bad about my own business because even when I started to sales started to pick up. It was one of those things where it was very incremental. So in my first course, I got 17. In the next round, I think I got maybe 30. And then the next round, maybe 45. So it it was stepping up slowly, no 10x growth. And uh, I was starting to read these case studies of six-figure launches and thinking, uh, shoot, well, how come mine's not like that? Um, And instead of just kind of comparing myself to my past self, like, okay, did I do a little better than last month or last quarter? Great. Let's keep, you know, let's keep going. Um, I was trying to compare myself to these other case studies in totally different niches with totally different price points, and then feeling bad that mine wasn't reaching those levels. And it's funny, if you look at my business growth, both in terms of traffic to the website and in terms of revenue, it's just like a slow, steady plod up and to the right. I mean, with variations, right? You got those day-to-day and week-to-week variations. But if you just look at it over the years, it just kind of slowly slopes upwards. Uh, No spectacular um, hockey stick uh, growth, right? No spectacular spikes. Uh, But in reality, as I've talked to other business owners, some of whom have had that huge explosion in growth, they would almost prefer just growing at a slow, steady pace because sometimes those big spikes or those big explosions can actually cause more problems. Maybe they hire too many people and then business drops off and now they're stuck with lots of costs and not enough revenue, or they grow so fast that they can't serve their existing customers well and customer satisfaction starts to drop off. So there are problems with growing too fast as well. And so um, now that I look back at it, I can see that this was a comfortable pace, a comfortable and healthy pace for business growth for me. And um, yeah, these stories aren't aren't talked about enough. And I think a lot of us who have these kind of slow growing, successful, but not spectacular businesses, a lot of us are so heads down in the work itself that we're not talking about the business itself. So we're not really going and pitching ourselves on podcasts or uh, that kind of thing. Most people are just very dedicated to their craft and, you know, it's working and they've got a nice, solid business and, um, you know, they're just not uh, promoting themselves about it. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is that you shouldn't, uh, let's see if I can get this right. You shouldn't compare yourself to other people today. You compare yourself to you yesterday, right? Always, always can always try to get better, like 1% better every day type stuff. And I tell my students that a lot because everybody progresses with piano at a different pace. And when people do post videos, it's like, Oh my gosh, look what she was able to do in 21 days or in a couple of months. Like, why, why am I not there? I've been doing this for six months and I'm not there. But, but in reality, they should be saying, okay, am I, am I a little bit better than yesterday, last week, last month, right? And um, so I think that goes along with what you were just saying. Mm-hmm. All right, let's jump back to your story a little bit because I think you had said that it was about a year into this that you had quit your job. Like how, how, do you, how did you know when it was time to focus on this full time? 
Mm, so this was a, a tough decision. Um, when I started, I was actually working two jobs. So I had my uh, my private students working at the English school. And then I was also working maybe 10 to 12 hours a week for uh, my previous employer, which was a nonprofit. And I was doing all of their online marketing and or email newsletters and stuff like that. So, um, so I had these two jobs going on. And what I did was basically as Espresso English grew, I just walked back my hours at the other job. So I would cancel, you know, maybe half of my private students and still hang on to a few. And then as Espresso English grew a little more, okay, I'm feeling comfortable with this. I'll cancel my group classes. And so then I was uh, fully work from home with Espresso English and this other kind of quarter time remote day job. And then eventually it was about, I think it was like two and a half years in when I fully let go of all other income streams um, and went all in on Espresso English. And it took me a while to come to that decision because I really wanted to be sure that Espresso English was stable. Um, I also wanted to be sure that I had an idea of where to take it from there. So I wouldn't just uh, quit my other job and then be floundering in an excess of free time and and not really know what to do. Um, I even had a a false start there. I was going to quit my job, uh, my other day job in March. And I, March, um, this would be March, 2015. And it started out with a really bad week of sales at Espresso English. And I decided not to send my resignation email. I I decided to stay. And then it turned out that the month recovered and was fine. Um, And I still, I still out of fear clung on to my other day job until around August when I finally left. But it was an interesting lesson in not looking at that short-term fluctuation of sales. Uh, It's so easy to get caught up in, oh my gosh, uh, sales are down today or this week or or traffic is down um, today. And you really have to look at these things on a monthly or even a quarterly uh time scale. It's like the stock market, right? You're not supposed to be checking it and making tweaks every day. You're supposed to like be in it for the long haul. And so uh, the the short-term panic caused me to stay at my day job longer than I probably should have, but another lesson learned. Yeah, I, I struggle with that uh, still as well. I mean, yeah, you, you, like like the stock market, like, um, you know, like Bitcoin, um, don't, don't check your, your online course sales every single day. Look at it more like weekly or monthly. I mean, just the other day, I, I don't, it's, it's very rare that I don't make like a single sale in a day. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, I was telling my wife, I was like, I don't think I made one sale today. And then the very next day I made like 12 sales, you know, it was just <laughs> up and down, up and down. So that's, that's interesting. All right. So let's talk a little pandemic. How mm-hmm. has, how has the lockdowns and the pandemic affected your business? So theoretically, I should be in a great position, right? Because my sector should be positively affected by the pandemic, more people at home, more people trying to pick up new skills. Uh, But in mid-March 2020, when kind of everything was going down and countries were closing and everyone was locking down, uh, for a couple weeks there, my sales went down about 65%. Uh, so, you know, they just got slashed to a third of their normal levels. And I didn't even notice because I wasn't checking sales every day until one of my other uh, teacher friends was like, hey, are your sales down too? And then I went and looked and I was like, oh my gosh. And uh, this friend was like, this might be the new normal. And I was like, oh my gosh, um, I got to do some stuff. So 
even though I, my business doesn't have high expenses, right? One of the great benefits of online courses is that we have good profit margins. I still kind of scrambled to prepare for that worst case scenario about what if the world's ending and nobody's going to be buying online courses anymore, because that was kind of the sentiment mid-March, right? No one knew what was going on. This was unprecedented, uh, as as everybody likes to say. And um you know, lots of industries were making major shifts or getting getting decimated. And I didn't know if mine was going to be one of them. So I kind of took some quick action to cut some expenses and just make sure that I could just keep things online, keep the website going, even if sales really, you know, stayed at that low level. Um, so they did eventually recover and 2020 ended up being kind of an average year, neither better nor worse than normal. Um but in in that first month, it was a bit scary because I didn't know what direction it was going to go in. I, I could I could only imagine like looking, especially if you're not checking it every day. I know for me, like especially during that time, I was especially checking it every day. <laughs> and I think that very first day was was I don't know that I made any any sales. And then it wasn't. Um, it sounds like yours eventually kind of recovered, but mm-hmm. mine mine immediately. You know, the next day actually did better. Um, so it was a, it was a quick relief. And so I didn't have to take as many measures and actions as, as it sounds like you did. Like, what are some of those things that you did once you saw, oh, I'm down 65%? Um, it was pretty simple. I just, I did, uh, I made a list of all my expenses and I cut some software that I either wasn't using or was kind of maybe a nice to have, but not essential to the business functioning. I actually cut my own salary. So I just wanted to make sure that the business had enough to keep running. And so I was able to comfortably dock my own salary in order to make sure the business could stay alive. Because also I knew that I had personal savings that even at a lower salary level, we would be fine, you know, just uh, living day to day. And also at the time we were actually visiting family in Brazil. So our daily expenses were a lot lower. So we just didn't need as much um, for groceries and whatnot. So um, I took, I took those two actions. And then as I saw that things were getting better, um, I still left some of those software programs turned off. I realized I didn't actually need them. So that's nice. Um, I was able to bring my own salary back up um, and my assistant salary wasn't affected. Uh, so that that was nice. That's the one of the benefits of also having kind of a lean team, right? Is you don't have uh, 20 people on payroll and then you have to make tough decisions about cutting salaries or firing people. So uh, I only have the one assistant and she was totally stable, you know, no changes to her employment at all during the pandemic. Very cool. You, you mentioned some kind of software you were able to cut. What, what are what's kind of your software stack that you're using now for, for all of this? So uh, my courses are hosted on my own WordPress site. Uh, I use Member Mouse, uh, which at the time was again early 2012 <laughs> was one of the only options. Teachable yes. didn't exist. Some of these other you know slicker um, programs that are specifically designed for online learning did not exist. And at the time, this was seemed like the best option, so I took it. Uh, it still serves me well, quite honestly. But for folks who are starting out, I do kind of point them towards some of these more user-friendly um, course platforms. And I use Active Campaign uh, for my email list. I was on Mailchimp for many years until I decided I wanted to get more sophisticated with segmenting automation and MailChimp just did not have the tools. So I shifted my whole list, 100,000 people with lots of tags over to ActiveCampaign. That was a fun project. 
Yeah, I remember remember Mouse. I mean, that, that kind of brings me back. Um, I, I remember what the landscape looked like back in 2013 and, and just all of these options you have today for, for where to put your online course. You know, most of them didn't exist at all. So it's interesting you made a decision to go with, with Member Mouse back then, which was probably one of the top options back in 2012. And yet here today, you're still using it. So that's that's pretty cool. You, you you must not succumb to like shiny object syndrome quite as much as me. Not at all. And also there's, you know, with thousands of, of past and present students, it would be a big pain to move everybody. Certainly possible, right? Uh, but it would be something I would have to either... Uh, hire someone for or dedicate a whole quarter to making sure that a transition went smoothly. Uh, so right now we're fine where we are. Shane, I'm going through it right now. I totally understand what you mean. <laughs> Trying to move over 6,000 students from one platform to another. All right. So active campaign, I'm sure you know, I'm a big fan of that as well. 100,000 email subscribers. What, what is it? What is it that in your opinion, you can do an active campaign that you could not do in uh, MailChimp? Uh, a lot of things having to do with automation. So I wanted to really follow up with people who had visited a sales page or checkout page, but had not made the decision to buy. So an active campaign, I could easily do that. Just set up a simple abandoned cart sequence, um, giving people a little more info or answering some FAQs, uh, as well as certain things like just a little bit more sophisticated segmentation. So, you know, since my niche is so broad, I get people still at a lot of different levels. I get people who are learning English for different reasons. Some people are more career oriented. Other people are kind of learning just for fun. Um, and so I have a, a survey as part of my email sequence that asks them kind of what level they are and, and why they're learning English. And then I wanted to, based on their survey responses, tag them and be able to send them some more specific content. So if they're learning English for their job or career, maybe they get more career focused um, tips. If they're learning English uh, because they want to immigrate, maybe they get more of a focus on really practical phrases for daily life. And uh, just some of that more sophisticated, you can build these whole decision trees in active campaign, right? If someone has done this, but they don't have that tag, send them this, but not that. And um, this is something that I don't recommend that people start out with that level of of sophistication, but instead develop it over time. I started out with just a really simple, I think, 10 email autoresponder sequence. And I started out with no autoresponder at all, right? Just my newsletter every week. And then over time, I evolved and got more sophisticated with my email marketing. So active campaign, and then you rely on WordPress for your for your members. Um, are you using WP Fusion? Uh, no, I don't know what that is. You should check it out. So I'm, I'm, I'm moving my course over to more of a WordPress-based solution. I'm not using a um, member mouse, but I'm using LearnDash and BuddyBoss. And what WP Fusion does, it's blowing my mind. Basically, it takes all of your tags in ActiveCampaign for a user and fully syncs it to your users in WordPress. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then so then what that allows you to do is grant people certain access to certain things based on their active campaign tags. I mean, I kind of already have that in Member Mouse. In fact, one of the reasons I originally chose it is at the time, it was one of the only solutions where you could sell bundles. So okay. there was a lot of membership uh, software at the time that had levels. You know, people could join at level one, level two, and level three. Mm -hmm. But if you joined at level three, you would get access to everything below you. And I wanted to sell sets 
of lessons. So if you joined Business English, you don't automatically get access to pronunciation. You would have to join that one too. And uh, it was one of the only things at the time that had it set up where you could kind of isolate, sell those individual products. Um, I know that's not an issue anymore with the tools we have these days. uh, But yeah, people are uh, in Member Mouse, they automatically have access to whatever they've purchased. And when they purchase something new, it automatically gets added to that same account. So when they log in the next time, they're just going to see that that new course is open to them. Does that then sync to Active Campaign? Through Zapier, yes. Through Zapier. through Zapier, yes. So what if you didn't have to have Zapier and it just completely synced? Not that you it's not working. that you need another software tool because it's working and you you clearly um err on the side of less tools. I just wanted to throw it out there. Sure. All right. What about ads? Are you doing any paid ads? Hmm. Paid ads is something I have tinkered with over the years and nearly always failed at. Uh, And I, for a while, I just threw up my hands and said, you know what? Paid ads only work if you're selling a $2,000 program or if you're selling something that has to do with making money online. Because it seemed like everyone who was teaching about how great paid ads were was selling, you know, a webinar to a $997 product or was selling something to do with uh, money-making or online business. And so for a while, I just, I said, these just aren't going to work for me. But then again, through that scattered learning approach, many different podcasts and, uh, and sources, I discovered some people who were running ads for um, yoga classes and homeschooling materials and uh, ballroom dancing and piano lessons, piano lessons. Exactly. And I thought, okay, let me take another crack at this. So I tried a couple of different things. I tried uh, ads to a free opt-in, right? And getting people onto my list and then hopefully converting them. People opted in like crazy. I got 5,000 opt-ins and so few of them converted to customers, like less than my organic traffic. All right, forget that approach. Um, I did ads to a webinar. People joined the free webinar like crazy and crummy conversions, Um I'm, I am going to give that one another crack, though, because I think that um, I have a better approach. What is working for me right now is actually running ads to those flash sales that I mentioned earlier. So I know that a lot of people say don't run ads straight to a product page because it's tough, right? Someone doesn't know who you are. They've never heard of you, and you're just telling them to buy something. Well, what's working for me is if that thing is a no-brainer, if you have a $15 ebook that is on sale for $5, people will, some people will buy. Um, And so with each of these flash sales that I'm doing, I'm also running ads uh, to cold traffic, encouraging people to buy during the flash sale. And um, two products have flopped with the ads. One has broken even and one is um, getting a positive return on investment. So it's been really interesting to experiment with this. Uh, You really do have to treat it like an experiment. Um, And it feels a little bit like gambling as well, right? You know, you tell Facebook, here's $400. I, gee, I hope I get some of this back. Um, But uh, some of these flash sales are working for me um, through ads. Interesting. You know, it reminds me of, uh, have you heard of this brand website uh, called Show Her Off? You mentioned oh. you mentioned dancing. Um, it's it's a it's a dancing course that I've been I've seen it advertised so many times. I think I think Dr. K has mentioned it on the podcast as well. I'm tr- trying to get the guy on the podcast, but I was listening to an interview with him recently, and he was talking about how he he's especially during the pandemic, his business did really well or the initial stages of the pandemic. 
and he was spending six figures a month on Facebook ads. All right. He wouldn't reveal like how much he was actually making, but he was clearly making over six figures in revenue um, to be able to be spending that. But he's like on the interview, it was interesting. He was just like the ad would go straight to the the order form, basically. And mm-hmm. to your point, like if it's like a no brainer type deal, then it could possibly work. It's like a $67 product with maybe a 20 or $30 bump upsell potentially. And he was supposedly incredibly um, profitable running Facebook ads to, to that simple offer. And I think he's still doing it. I still see the ads and it, it works kind of like the way you're doing it works. Yeah. And there are a number of people teaching, actually. Uh, some people call it a tiny offer. Some people call it um, a self-liquidating offer because the idea is basically that you should want to just break even on that first purchase. Yeah. And then hopefully you have something more to offer the person, whether a higher price product or membership that then they would love what they bought so much, they would go on to buy your other um, products. And I am seeing that I'm monitoring basically the people who are coming in through these uh, ads to the flash sale and checking, do they then go on to buy additional products? And a, a good number of them do. All right. So with all these courses that you have and with, with fa- fairly little interaction once somebody actually signs up like what what's what is your schedule and day-to-day like Like, what are you even doing in the business for the most part at this point so i've definitely streamlined this to the point that i don't have to do very much um in order to maintain the business the only things i need to do are one new uh free video a week and what i do is i i do a free video lesson and then i publish it on youtube on facebook I pull out the audio, that becomes the podcast episode. I pull out the text, that becomes the blog post. So it's just one piece of content repurposed in all the different forms. So I do one of those a week and I uh, take care of the maybe 10% of messages that that my assistant doesn't know the answer to or, or maybe it's something that I need to respond to. That's all that's needed to just keep things running. And there have been times like when I had my daughter that I just, for a few months, I just stayed on that minimal maintenance schedule or when we were buying our house, um, you know, life was taking precedence. And so the business just took kind of a backseat and I just kind of kept it, kept it running with minimal work. But the problem is I love what I do so much and I'm so excited about it that I always am jumping in and starting new projects. So right now I'm really diving heavily into ads, Facebook ads and ad strategy. I'm working on a couple of new products uh, because I think there are some gaps in my product suite where uh, people have needs that I haven't met yet. Um, And so there's still plenty of what I call growth projects that I'm still digging my teeth into. So right now I work about um, 10 to 12 hours a week. Uh, I would like to work a little bit more, but childcare is limited. Um, So I really have to be efficient and prioritize those 10 to 12 hours and pick the things that are really going to move the needle or really the most important. This is amazing because you're you're saying a lot of the time you spend now is is essentially content creation and then repurposing it. And I am I just jumped over to YouTube and I didn't even like you know I should have assumed but I didn't know you had a YouTube channel. I'm looking at this. You have 500,000 subscribers on YouTube and you are so consistent with posting here. Wow. Congrats. Like th- this is amazing. I'm so blown away here. Like more people need to be consistently posting to YouTube. Like why, why do you think uh, more people are not doing it like you're doing it? Every week since 2013. Um, My goodness. 
Yeah. Uh, so I think that with consistency, as we've talked about earlier, this is really a long-term strategy, right? You are not going to see huge growth within the first three months, four months, sometimes even the first year. And it's hard to keep doing something when you're not really seeing a return or seeing those results. Um, but what you're doing when you're consistently YouTubing or podcasting or blogging is you're building up a library of content that when someone searches five years from now for how to pronounce uh, words with silent letters in English, they can find my YouTube video that I did seven years ago. Um, and it's still out there, you know, bringing pe- new people into my business. So you're really building up a library. You're, you're building up that, that cache of content. Um, but it is hard to stay consistent when you don't know if it's working or if it will ever pay off for you. Yeah, but that is the thing I like about YouTube. Unlike, you know, Instagram or Facebook, it's it's more evergreen, right? I've, I've got a video yes. that I uploaded three or four years ago that's got now over 2 million views that continues to bring me a ton of traffic every single day because one day I, I you know, devoted four hours to making it. And um, yeah, and so, man, it's just, wh- at what point did you like did you feel the momentum? Cause like you said, I think most people quit with the YouTube and the consistency cause it, it doesn't seem like you're getting results for the effort you're putting in, but eventually the, the kind of wheel starts spinning enough to where it does, it does start working. Like how long did that take for you? I think it took about a year because what happened is I was, I was only blogging for the first year. I added YouTube at the beginning of the second year. And my YouTube videos were really simple. They were me reading out my blog posts over slides. So I was afraid of being on camera. That was the most I could do. And I really did not even check my YouTube stats until kind of the end of that that second year. And when I did, I realized that my YouTube audience had grown significantly faster than my blogging audience. And um I think part of that is because with YouTube, you have suggested videos. And what was happening is my videos were appearing alongside maybe some more popular videos, let's say on English grammar, and then YouTube would have suggested videos. Why don't you check out this one? And to this day, a lot of my YouTube traffic does come from suggested videos. And so I think on YouTube, you 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 can be more discoverable. And one little hack for people is um, if you're trying to grow a YouTube channel is look at some of the most popular channels in your niche and see what their most popular videos are. And then see, is there a way that you can do one your own take on that topic. So you're not copying their video. You're just doing your own take on that topic or um, a related one. And that is going to help you get more visibility faster because your video is probably has a similar title or similar topic is going to appear next to those very popular ones. And anyone who's interested in learning about um, that particular topic will probably click on yours as well. No, yeah. Thanks for that advice. So as far as the overall content strategy, am I I hearing this correctly that basically once a week, you have an idea for some content, and then that exact same content goes on YouTube, podcast, blog. Uh, YouTube, podcast, Facebook, and blog. Yep. Wow. It's. I mean, it sounds so simple, but yet amazing. It is simple, and I batch them actually. So I will try to just set aside a week and do all four posts for the month. So I'll just take a week, get really into content creation mode. The first thing I do is the video. I take it back. The first thing I do is the text, right? I write it out. Um, then I do the video, upload video on YouTube, upload it on Facebook, um, pull out the audio, upload that on the podcast, publish the text and any relevant images on the blog, embed the video um, because I like to have the video on the blog post as well. Um, 
queue up a social media post and then that's it. I'm, I'm done for the month. I can usually get that done in, in a couple of days, all four posts for the month. Amazing. So the podcast we were talking about earlier was not the Espresso English podcast. It was the Entrepreneurs in Motion podcast. What, what was your motivation behind starting that? And like, what's your motivation now too? Is that making you money in any way or is it just kind of a, a side hustle for you? Nope. It's no money. It's just a passion project uh, because I love talking about entrepreneurship and I love talking to other entrepreneurs, but my main niche isn't interested in that stuff. And so it wouldn't make sense to, I think kind of like yours, right? It wouldn't make sense to blend them or to start talking about email marketing to my English audience. Um, And so I just, I started a separate podcast. It's just something I do when I have time, which in all of 2020 was non-existent. So I didn't publish it all in 2020. Now I'm getting back to it. Um, But when I started out, the other thing that I really wanted to do was I wanted to make a podcast by and for people kind of in, in the middle, in the trenches of that journey, because I felt like a lot of content was either geared towards people just starting out, like find your first business idea, set up your first website. And I wanted to really talk to people who are past that point. So they already have something up and running, but they're not yet at that seven figure superstar level, right? Um, They, maybe they're making like 2k a month and so it's not quite supporting them yet but they think they can grow it a little bit more and i know that you have a lot of uh folks like this in the the online course um podcast audience um and in and in next level courses as well but uh just i really wanted to get at that middle stage where you're still you're still kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks and um it's it's exciting but it can also be frustrating uh because you're trying to work for that growth um and so yeah that's kind of that's kind of where a lot of my listeners are as well is that where the in motion part of it, of the title comes in? Is that what that means? Yes. Yeah. Because it's people who are taking a lot of action. Um, I specifically say that it's for action takers, not excuse makers, because I get so frustrated when I see like people who are want to be entrepreneurs. And instead of taking action, they're just making excuses or saying, well, I don't think this will work because of X, Y, and Z. I wanted to talk to the people who are, who are doing it right. They've, um, they've got skin in the game they're taking action and they're, they're learning fast and, you know, implementing, um, those people are, are just fun to talk to, right. And fun to work with. And, you know, you talk to them three months down the line, they've made some big breakthroughs or, um, uh, learn some new stuff. And so it's, it's fun. So on this, on this brand, are you, are you using the official Shana content strategy where you're taking a piece of content and putting it all these places, or is it just a podcast? No, I'm being lazy. It's just a podcast. <laughs> It's it's hard it's hard to get motivated when it's not necessarily bringing in any income. Well, it's also a question of focus, right? Um, I still feel like there's so much more I want to do with Espresso English. I'm not quite, and I have such limited working hours that I'm not ready to really set aside time to work on entrepreneurs in motion to really you know grow it intentionally. I know you've recently gone through um, kind of some of this transition yourself, but yeah. um, with wanting to focus more on the piano part to make it the best it can be. Uh, so I really just treat it as something I do for fun and hopefully uh, it educates and inspires people as well. Um, but, you know, sometime in the future, maybe in the next five years, I'll, I'll get back to really intentionally trying to grow it. But for now, it's just, um, it's just a hobby. That's a, that's a good, that's a good attitude to have. I can definitely respect that. Um, I, I, considering, you know, where I've been with my two brains and everything. All right. So let's, let's give a little advice out there. You've obviously shared a lot of advice already, but just kind of in general, like what is, what is your advice and recommendation for course creators, aspiring course creators about how to, how to make this whole thing successful? 
So kind of like the themes you've been talking about, really uh, take action. Uh, the best way to learn is to implement and then see what works or doesn't work for your niche or for your audience. So yeah, it's great to learn strategies, you know, from um, mentors and, and role models, but you really, it's only by putting them into practice that you're going to see them. Are they going to work for you? Um, and then along with that, I would say that you do have to treat it like an experiment. So for a while, part of my problem was that I would get so emotionally attached to the results. I would think that if something, if my launch flopped, it meant that my business was never going to work and I really stink at this. And um, I needed to have more detachment to say, okay, didn't work. Let's analyze. Let's change things. Let's try again. And really look at it almost scientifically as opposed to, I think a lot of people aspiring and current course creators, we really want this to work, right? Because we know that the benefits are amazing, you know, when it comes to financial freedom and, and time freedom, we really want this to work. And so when something is not working, it we can get really emotionally um, wrapped up in it or upset um, or let it let it get us down. And so I think having that experimentation approach, just implement, experiment, analyze, move forward um, is what's going to help people really go far without getting bogged down by kind of emotional baggage. Very cool. Awesome. Shana, thanks for joining me. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, totally, Jacques. All right. So Shana from EspressoEnglish.net and EntrepreneursInMotion.com. All right, Dr. K, welcome back. That was the combo. What'd you think? Give me your takeaways. I loved it. Shayna, like you mentioned before the interview, she's just so clear in her thought processes. Um, she has great enunciation. I guess it's an English teacher. We'd expect that. The words are very clear and just easy to listen to. And uh, the other thing, I, again, I can't recommend highly enough that people do go and track down her podcast, Entrepreneur in Motion. And one thing that you learn is that her main fitness hobby is capoeira. Are you familiar with that activity or sport? Nope. So uh, I actually learned about this on a service trip to Brazil back when I was in chiropractic school, but it's just, it's considered an Afro-Brazilian martial art. It combines dance, acrobatics, and music. And so we got to watch people perform this in, in Brazil. And it's like flips, headstands. It's this crazy combination of martial arts and breakdancing and a drum circle. And when I learned that that's, that's her main hobby fitness activity, I was like, that, that lines up. I mean, she's, she's a tough woman. It's not a, a sport or an activity that's for the timid. And I'd say it's the same when you start a small business. It takes some tenacity. Mm -hmm. It was interesting when she first went to sell her course and she had these expectations with a, a hundred people on her list. She thought that she was going to put out an offer that was a no brainer for them. And then she was disappointed where she sold three. Uh, but her takeaway there, she said, you you always have to remember that anytime you're selling something, it does change the relationship. So you can have a lot of people that are, are enjoying your free content. But when you ask them for money, even if it's a small amount, that's still actually a big, pretty big step in the relationship. Yep. Very true. In the discussion about community, you suggested that she she should really consider adding community to her her offerings. And I actually agree with you on that. One of the things that she mentioned is that she could check in with this circle of friends that all teach English. And that's something that she's mentioned on her own podcast as well. And so I just think for any course creator, it's so wise to try to find people that are, are walking the same walk that you're on and have the same goals. And rather than viewing them as competitors, view them as, as resources that you can use accountability buddies. Um, I did just want to check in with you and ask, uh, 
I don't think I've ever asked for the, for the full story of how you ended up in that mastermind with like Nick Loper of the Side Hustle Show and Jonathan Medanza of Choose FI. So how did you end up in that particular mastermind? And then uh, what's an update from that group? Yeah, so that's been going on for a, a few years now. Um, uh, Steve Young from App Masters and uh, Dr. Ryan Gray as well. And, and Abby Ashley was in there for, for a while too. Um, so basically, Nick reached out to all of us. And I think Nick w- was in a, a mastermind and that kind of fizzled out. And so he was trying to... to basically start another one and he's, he's, he's got a huge network. And so he, he reached out to all of us individually asking if we were interested. Uh, and then, and then it all came together and I didn't know any of them besides, besides Nick. Um, I'd never spoken to any of them besides, well, I guess Abby, I knew Abby and Nick and we started just doing a weekly mastermind, did it for a couple of years. We do kind of a rotating hot seat and starting this year, we, uh, bumped it back to every two weeks, um, it was actually my, my initiative. Um, just, I was like, guys, I'm just trying to do less on my calendar each week. I, w- I proposed switching to monthly and, uh, we settled on every two weeks. So still going strong, still, still love it, still love the, uh, the mastermind there. And it's, it's something that I think everybody listening to this podcast should try to, to be doing is being in some sort of mastermind like that. Can you think of any really valuable takeaways? Man, I'll tell you, dude, I mean, since starting that group, like that's, that's how I've gotten the, what I would say like a killer video setup with lighting and, and all my cameras, my audio setup, like all of that knowledge came from that mastermind because we all have our strengths and that's not one of them. It's starting to be one of them now, but they, multiple of them in that group educated me on their setups. Um, live video streaming. I, I use something called vMix to like switch between cameras on a live stream to add effects. You know, when I do my weekly Q&As with my piano students, I've got my front camera like in the corner. I've got my overhead camera um, at the bottom, but just the part with my keys. And then I've got some software that shows people exactly what notes I'm playing. And that's all live. I never, before VMix, I would have never known how to do that like live. I've kind of formatted my piano videos um, in post-production that way for a long time. But now I can do that live and I don't know that I would be doing that if I weren't in this mastermind. So it's a way to come together and really share each other's strengths with each other. I, I've helped every single one of them in the mastermind with mm. a course, right? I mean, we all just help each other with our particular strengths. That's awesome. Yeah, I saw where Nick Loper is putting out his first course. So looks like he got a good group of people interested in that. Yes, so the other thing that Shana mentioned in the discussion is just this question of how reversible is any decision mm. in your business? That's like just a, a checkbox that when you're thinking about doing anything that's, that you should be asking. And uh, there's a couple of things that I thought of in your business that I would be watching out for. Um, one is if you were to promise people that you would have a weekly Q&A. It's like, I mean, I know that you value freedom and that you just based on your past, there could be times that you want to travel for months at a time. And so uh, one thing I was wondering is just if you take that into account, like, do you currently basically promise that there will be a weekly Q&A or are you cautious about making it that kind of a commitment? Mm, Good question. The other other thing came up in the intro and that's just that raglan (laughs) t-shirt. It's like Colleen asked the right question because she's like, Hey, wait a second. Like, what if six years down the road, somebody wants a raglan t-shirt? You know, we got to be careful about promising something too big with no, uh, kind of no strings attached. 
So that goes, that, that all goes back to the question, how reversible is this? So as far as the Q and A goes, I don't include that in my value stack. I do mention it in my pitch a little bit. Um, but it's not like one of the items. So like on the order form, it, it, when it says like, here's everything you're getting, it doesn't say like weekly Q and A with me. So that's intentional that it's, that's a little softer there. Um, but at the same time, I've been doing this long enough and it's, it's established enough to where in my head, basically I'm thinking if I ever need to, I can outsource weekly Q and A's or I could do it every other week. So that's something I know my students get a great deal of value from. So I don't plan on stopping, even if that means that it's not necessarily me. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you have that outsourced person in mind? No, not, not exactly. Um, I've got a new, newer person on my team. Now that actually is plays piano, can teach piano, and she's she's helping with more customer support. She's never really been on camera, right? To to what we were talking about earlier with with kind of beginners on camera. So that that would be a, a good good ways in the future if it were her. But I think that I could, if I needed to, I could probably hire somebody to do that fairly quickly if I needed to. But I still, honestly, like I still enjoy the weekly Q and A's. There's a lot of regulars on there. It lasts about thirty minutes. And like, we really get to know each other. Like, for example, one guy, um, Ben Hancock, I doubt he would mind me calling him out. He is on this streak of daily practice. And last week when we did our Q and A's and every week I'm, when he's on, I'm like, Ben, what's our number? Like how many days? And last week he was at 355 consecutive wow. days of practice. Guy retired. He, when he retired, he's like, okay, I'm going to learn some new things. I think he's learning piano, like Tai Chi. A few, a few things like kind of at the same time. And he's a big believer in like daily ritual habits practice. And, um, and everybody else like is aware of Ben's streak. And I'm like, Ben, you know, in a couple of weeks when we do this, like you're going to be at the one year mark. And like, you know, I know that Nancy's in Dallas. And so when the ice storms came through, I asked her about it. Like, and this is just coming through via text. Like we're not all on camera. I'm the only one on camera, but it's just, it's become this thing that's just really a, a highlight of my week. So for now, I'm still very much enjoying it. And the other part of it too is right now when I, when I'm like on vacation for a week, I just, we just skip it and everybody's very understanding. You know, we went on a, a road trip, um, in February over Mardi Gras and I'm, I told them a few days before the normal session, Hey guys, I'm going to be road tripping with my family this week. No Q and A. Everybody's like, have fun. Great. See you when you're back. And then on the day that the Q and A normally is, I posted a picture from our trip. I was like, Hey, just a reminder, no Q and A today. And then I posted a picture of our family, like right near this waterfall and every like 50 comments, like it looks awesome. Jacques, you know, have so much fun. Enjoy those kids. Like it's just. It's just a good environment. Yeah. And then I guess with the Raglan t-shirt kind of a concept, it might be good to put a time stipulation on that just uh, just to say, well, we don't want to commit to something if it's something that big, like years, years after they sign up for the course. No, you know, what we'll do is it's like a 15 second part of that video. So we'll just edit that part of the video out. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, it'd be that simple. So, <laughs> so Jacques, people go to your last lesson on the first day. I actually I jumped into the ride along and I went to the last day's <laughs> lesson. <laughs> I wanted to see how good they were. <laughs> you wanted to see how good. I'm just letting you know consumer behavior. You wanted to see. Oh, you wanted to see how good the right the boot camp students were. Yes. Uh, yeah, and there was this guy. He sang along to. I, it might have been the lady in red, but yeah. yeah, it was amazing. Peter. Yeah, pretty awesome. I think I literally teared up on video <laughs> watching yeah. him. So that's my opinion. Like the shirt thing seems to be reversible. 
And even the massive things like this platform, all the while I knew like worst case scenario, it just isn't better than the ClickFunnels thing I was doing and we can go back. Okay, so back to talking about Shayna. So for years, for a couple of years before I became a podcast co-host, I would periodically send you little emails or messages It'd be like, hey, have you considered doing this? Well, you, and, you and still you still do that. Let's be I honest. Know. <laughs> I know. Well, if there's one thing I'm an expert on, uh, it's my own opinion. <laughs> so once I started listening to Shayna, I sent her a little note because I thought, I think she's missing out on an opportunity to close more sales or just sell more courses. And that was that currently all of her emails and sales pages are only in English. Mm. And so I wrote her and I said, hey, you know, don't you think maybe you should have your emails and sales pages um, in a couple of your most popular languages as an option? She responded back, no. Uh, but I still I still think maybe there's room for a test here. So I just wanted to use you as a little case study of one. So if, if you had to classify yourself in French, I know that you've taken lessons in French. So would you classify yourself as beginner, intermediate, or advanced? Uh, intermediate. Intermediate. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you find a course exactly like Shana's, except it's in French. And so all the lessons are only going to be this instructor speaking French. Would you, would you think that the emails and sales pages would be more persuasive if they were written in English or French for you as an intermediate student? Probably in English, to your point, the, the emails and sales pages trying to get me to sign up, I feel like would be more effective in English. But then once I do sign up, I think for learning, most of the stuff should be in French in this particular example. Okay. Yeah. And so that was my thought process. I realized uh, Shana has some hesitation just because her, her course portfolio is so vast mm. and she offers different bundles. But essentially, Shana, when you're listening, you know, I think that if you ever create like a masterclass style bundle, you know, 150 to $300 that you're really going to try to promote this higher end package. Personally, I think there could be some value in asking people that join your list what their native language is, having the emails for those people in both English and their native language, and then having the sales page where it has some buttons at the top where you can they can jump to alternate landing pages in the native language. And then also, I would want to see uh, some testimonials that are by speakers in my language. I think all those things could could lead to somewhat higher conversions. So if she does all of this... How reversible is that? Well, I think it's pretty reversible, and I think the effort's only worth it for a higher-end package. Agree. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it it certainly is reversible. I was just trying to tie the last two topics together. I think that it's probably worth trying, and you'd want to try it to your point, like maybe with one one offer and just see how it goes. You know, I'm also a huge fan of simplicity, too. And so people have suggested to me, hey, you know, piano in 21 days in in Spanish and German and French and Mandarin. And I'm like, ah. I just don't know that it's worth it, <laughs> but this is yeah. this this is different. I mean, she's literally teaching English, um, and so I could see I, I see the val- potential value there. So you mentioned Bitcoin a couple episodes here, and so the other thing when I was setting Val up to watch the webinar for Piano in Twenty One Days, the opt in process there's that questionnaire, and the last question currently is, "Are you interested in paying for Piano in Twenty One Days in Bitcoin?" And I was cracking up. So number one, I want to know the results of that survey in your funnel. And then number two, I want to know like your general, what are you doing with Bitcoin, man? What are you, let's look here. Let's not let the government hear what we're about to say. Okay. <laughs> okay. Shh. 
Yes, I got my first sale via Bitcoin on Friday a few days ago. No way. Yeah, somebody sent me four hundred ninety-seven dollars worth of Bitcoin. Yeah, you know, a lot of people, you know, Bitcoin is still not something the average person understands. It's still just this really vague, just like unicorn thing that they don't know much about. It's very interesting. This is not a cryptocurrency podcast, but it's, I mean, how deep do you want to get into this? Because basically I look at it as a potential store of value, right? If you go, if you go and, and, and somebody needs a ditch dug and, and they're willing to pay $15 an hour to you, getting money for that is a way to turn an activity of digging a ditch for an hour into monetary value, right? Selling a course for 497, like I sell you the course and the value of that is 497, in this case, US dollars, right? Five thousand dollars, five thousand years ago in Rome or whatever it is. I'm bad at history. Like the exchange was more like a gold coin or a silver coin, something like that. Those were the stores of value. So Bitcoin is just a different type of store of value, in my opinion. And it's just a matter of where do you think the safest place to store value is? Is it in the U.S. dollar? Is it in another currency? Is it in physical metals or is it in cryptocurrencies? Those are some of the big options, personally. I'm just a big fan of diversification overall. So I've got all of the above because I'm a big fan of diversification. Well, so I read the book Bitcoin Billionaires. Mm-hmm. It's about the Winklevoss twins that were basically screwed over by Mark Zuckerberg. Right. Gave me a good history on Bitcoin. One of the most pivotal moments in the growth of Bitcoin was the run on the Cyprus banks. And so Cyprus had this failed economy And the government there, they just said, anybody whose bank accounts have more than like $100,000, we're just going to take everything above $100,000 out of it. (laughs) And I mean, like, just so think about that. So, you know, we think of banks here as being FDIC insured and up to $250,000. Like, imagine if our government one day just said, uh, no, anything above $100,000 in your bank account is gone. Um, we're using it for the country. That's what happened. And uh, people that were watching around the world say, oh, my gosh, like, yeah, our currency, it's not the level of stability that we'd like it to be. So, yes. And since 1971, the currency has not been backed by by something like gold. And so it literally is monopoly money. It's a piece of paper. And the the big one of the big things about Bitcoin and even gold and silver and things like that is there is a finite amount of them. Whereas with what's called fiat currencies, which is just the paper that's not backed by anything, governments can literally print as much as they want of them. And and don't quote me on this, but I think something like 40% or 45% of the the like US dollars ever printed have been printed in the last 12 months. It's it's an astounding number. I'm not saying that that is the number, right? And so every time they print more, it makes the ones we have worth less. And there's no limit to how many could exist. Whereas with, you know, gold and silver, we're limited by the physical amount that's in the, in the planet. And with Bitcoin, and a lot of people don't realize this, there can only ever be 21 million Bitcoins. There's never going to be more than that. Right. So it's, it's scarce and there, and you can't just print more. So one last question. And this is just your opinion. Obviously, you're not giving actual advice to people, but. What percent of your net worth would you currently want in cryptocurrency? Not answering that. And, and yes, disclaimer, this is not financial advice. I think that's <laughs> all the, all the financial uh, podcasts I listen to all have that disclaimer. Like this is it's not, a- we are not. So no, I'm not answering that. Um, oh, come on. <laughs> okay. It's not advice. 
No, it's fun though. No. I, I, I've already said like I, I have U.S. dollars, I have stocks, I have mutual funds, but I also have gold, silver, and not just Bitcoin. There's, there's tons of cryptocurrencies, and I've got, I've got a lot of different ones. All right, we can move on. What about, do you? What do you? What's your thoughts on this? I, I don't, but um, yeah, I've gotten in arguments with my friends just about. Let's say somebody bought, uh, I mean, I saw a scenario in a Facebook group where somebody bought, uh, the individual stock of Tesla. They bought $35,000 of it. And then based on its growth, it was $350,000. And this person's overall net worth was like $370,000. <laughs> so they had, and, and I was telling my friend, like, this guy needs to rebalance, um, his portfolio. This is like nuts. And I tried to give the scenario that Dave Ramsey said. I said, the question is, if he had $370,000 in cash sitting on his table, would he put $350,000 in the Tesla? Exactly. And, and my buddy and this patient I got in a discussion slash argument with, both of them said, no, it's different because he bought it at 35, so it doesn't count. And I'm like, no, every day you hold on to an asset, you're making making the decision to purchase it again, so to speak. And neither my my best friend nor this patient were like, no, it's different because they bought it so low. Nope, it's not different at all. It's not different at all. If you have $350,000 worth of of um, Dogecoin and right. you your net worth is $370,000, then it's exactly the same as having $370,000 US dollars and saying, I'm going to take 350000 of this and invest it in Dogecoin, which nobody on the planet... I don't think the creator of Dogecoin even is still involved with Dogecoin. I don't think he owns any. Like, I don't think anybody on the planet would say that's a good idea. Right. <laughs> Which, by the way, not everybody's going to get that. But Dogecoin is like the joke cryptocurrency. Correct. Yeah. Formed as a joke. So, jeez. Uh, <laughs> Are we getting sidetracked here? What, what percent of your net worth is in crypto? <laughs> Less than 10%. Okay. Okay. So Facebook ads, obviously I'm very intrigued with Facebook ads. I'm always trying to, to tweak it for my office and, and for anything that I'm putting out there. But I was just, uh, I mean, Shane is so awesome in the sense that she did all these different experiments. She didn't say there's one way she tried all these, all these different things. And it was cool when she finally found one that works, which was the flash sales and, and kind of this tiny offer concept. Um, but I would say the biggest lesson from that is just that you have to test. So are you uh, are you working toward any kind of Facebook ad strategy, any Facebook ad changes lately? Yes. Now with that, we've got the new platform up, the new course up. Um, I want to run more more paid traffic to it. However, we're still updating some of the kind of middle of the funnel type stuff, some of the older videos like in the funnel. So I want to get things a little more dialed in before we ramp something up like Facebook ads. Well, so the last thing, just to mention Shana's podcast again and recommend that fans of yours go and listen to her podcast. Just from the first time that I listened to it, I felt kind of the same same way that I resonated with you and um, Nate Dodson when I first started listening to you. I was like, this is a lady that I'd enjoy hanging out with and, and I could tell that we're similar mindset. So um, that podcast had some advice from the middle. And uh, I just wanted to mention again, when, when Jacques, when you surveyed your audience of this show and asked, who do you want to hear more of? They wanted to hear people that are in the trenches, rap, like actively growing, not rock stars. Um, last week or last time we recorded, we talked with the guys from the Hustle and Flowchart podcast. And a little while back, they did a therapy session. It was October 20th of 2020. But they did this therapy session where they did a survey of their audience and then discussed the results of the audience. And one of the funny things was they said, which shows do you enjoy the most and which shows did you enjoy the least? 
And what they found was that their rock star guests were kind of like the least appreciated episodes. And so I would just say that these kinds of surveys just highlight the good news for normal people out there who want to create a course. It's like people want to learn from normal people. They want to learn from people that are one, two, three steps ahead, not rock stars. And so just a, a huge validation that no matter what you're out there thinking of making a course about, you're the right person and now's the right time. That was beautiful, man. That was really beautiful. I'm tearing up over here. That was that was nice. Did you prep Super that? Inspired. Like that was yeah, that was that was awesome. Well said. Well, was there anything else? Because that I think that's kind of a good way to put a bow on no, this episode. That's my mic drop. Well done, man. Well done. Okay. Well, David, Dr. K, thanks for joining me here, man. That was that was really great. Uh, thanks to Shayna for joining us as well. You can find once again her stuff at espressoenglish.net, also entrepreneurs in motion. Com. And thank you out there for listening to yet another episode of the Online Course Show. We very, very much appreciate it and love to hear back from you. Comments, criticism, suggestions, or um, if anything that we've talked about or, or throughout the episodes have, has helped you in any way, we'd love to hear that as well. So this has been episode 172, and you can find all the links and show notes at oc.show slash 172. And until next time, get out there and make some next level courses that provide transformation to your students and not just information. Take care, everyone.